Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. I'm Joey Weaver, joined tonight as always by Mr. Mike McDaniel. Mike, I heard you were in a uh, classic college football environment this weekend. Yeah, about 15 people at the Duke-Virginia Tech game. Uh, my group had eight, so that gives you a pretty good idea of how uh, how loud that environment was at Wallace Wade Stadium in Durham uh, for Virginia Tech and Duke. Uh, pretty rowdy environment. My tickets were somewhere in the vicinity of like the 35 or 40-yard line. Never sat there. Uh, walked in and realized that there were a million seats open in the end zone. Didn't even show my ticket to the security guard. Walked two rows from the field and sat right there in the end zone behind the goalpost. So security airtight at Duke um, for <laughs> all for all 15 people in attendance. And uh, yeah, man, we were loud and proud. Hokies traveled well, though. Seriously, like Virginia Tech probably had I don't know out of like the 35 or 40,000 uh, Duke Stadium. It was probably 70 percent, 70 to 75 percent Hokies fans. So. That sounds about uh, yeah, right. Definitely tra- yeah, definitely traveled well. Got loud on third down. Uh, conventionally, Lane Stadium South, so went pretty well. <laughs> what I mean, what did you have to pay for a ticket to that game? Like, hopefully, not more than like ten bucks. It was uh, twelve dollars on StubHub. There you go. And okay. then I paid six dollars in service fees, so it was eighteen dollars. You paid a fifty percent service fee to go to a Duke football game. Wow, Joey, the. You're not. You're never going to believe this. Face value on those tickets, like my tickets at like the forty yard line, it was fifty six dollar ticket, and I paid eighteen dollars after fees. Good. So grief. that guy didn't even. That guy didn't even get close to fifty percent back. So it's pretty. Yeah, pretty unbelievable. Man, but that poor sucker. I mean, that's what you get for having season tickets to Duke, though. I mean, <laughs> like, what are you thinking? I mean, to be fair, he made $12 to not go to a Duke football game, which is, you know, not terrible. <laughs> it's an accomplishment in and of itself. Uh, it's like, how much how, how much are you going to pay me so I don't have to watch my terrible team play? <laughs> um, and Tech only won by three, so, hey. Well, good on you, yeah. Mike, doing the Lord's work, going to Duke football games for people. Uh, that's kind of the, uh, the attitude we've got on this, uh, this week's games. Uh, it was not the most exciting slate in the ACC this weekend. There were a few close games, but uh, there were several games that were not this close, so we'll, we'll just dig right in here. We're going to go in the order that we went in on the preview show, uh, just in order of when they started. Because, because we have no idea how else to do it. Yeah, there's no obvious order of like where to start here. I mean, you could start with the big-time teams that blew out their opponents, or like the really close games between like smaller teams, but in any case... We'll start with the close game between smaller teams here, Mike. Uh, Notre Dame falls to Navy in Jacksonville, 28-27. Smaller teams. That's a dig at Notre Dame. I don't know if you caught that. Um, Caught it. (laughs) This was a super weird game, Mike. First of all, 11.30 a.m. start in Jacksonville, so you had to kind of know something was going to get strange in there. But then Notre Dame had six offensive possessions in this game, and they scored on five of them, and they lost and you can't help but think that some late-game decisions really were kind of the contributors to that losing effort. Yeah, uh, very weird game. So, 11.30 kick, of course, things are going to get weird. Uh, Notre Dame had six possessions in this football game. Six. They had the ball six times. They scored on five of those six possessions. They had three three touchdowns, touchdowns. two field goals, yeah. Yeah, three touchdowns, two field goals. So pretty efficient offensively, and they still found a way to lose. It's it's the story of Notre Dame season. I mean, the defense has been so bad, uh, specifically against the run, which you know it's never good when you're playing a team that runs the ball. I don't know, like ninety-seven percent of the time with Navy. Um, so that's what they ran into in Jacksonville. Um, Kaiser had a good game, nineteen of twenty-seven. He had three touchdown passes through for over two hundred and twenty yards. Uh, Kaiser also had 52 yards rushing, so he was pretty much their offense. Uh, to Josh Adams' credit, running back, he had 12 carries for 73 yards in this one. Uh, I, you know, I guess if there's one moment to point to in this game, it's Brian Kelly's decision to kick a field goal instead of go for it on fourth down with about seven minutes to go after Notre Dame really hadn't stopped Navy all afternoon. Um, so Notre Dame kicks a field goal and uh, cuts it to 28-27, and they never got the ball back. Navy just killed the clock for the last seven and a half minutes. So, 
I mean, it's pretty easy to second guess at this point. I guess when it happened, your thought on that matter is, well, you know, I kind of get what he's trying to do, you know, take the points. He'll probably get the football back. And Kaiser's been great, so he had no problem moving the team up and down the field, passing the ball. So you think if you get in a two-man situation, you got to be pretty confident with Kaiser and that offense, the way they were playing. Well, they never got the ball back. And, uh, Joe, you, Joe, you and I, like, alluded to it here before we hit record. you got to read the room a little bit better than that, like you said, you, like you said yourself. Um, and Notre Dame really defensively had no way of stopping Navy all day. So what made Brian Kelly think that they were going to stop them there? Uh, with seven and a half minutes to play. I mean, it's a little absurd that they didn't get the ball back with seven and a half to go, but they didn't. That ended up being the deciding factor. I guess this late-game decision-making, kind of, but um, just not a good look for Notre Dame. Obviously, when your offense performs that efficiently on that side of the ball and you still find a way to lose, it's just kind of, you know, you look at the defense and you're thinking, man, this is kind of in the story of our season. We've been this bad defensively. We still find a way to lose games in which our offense plays that well. So not a good game for Notre Dame. Uh, their sixth loss of the season already. Pretty absurd after what we kind of expected, what everybody expected, at least for Notre Dame. It was, hey, they're going to maybe contend for the playoff, and if they don't, they're going to lose three or four games and at least be in a pretty good bowl game come January. Now it's looking like they're not going to be in any bowl game. It was looking even like that before this Navy game. So a couple tough games left on their schedule, Virginia Tech and USC included. Um, and they're going to have to beat Army. I mean, that's kind of what's boiling down to at this point. I think we're looking at 4-8 for Notre Dame, Mike. And that is that is so bizarre as compared to, like, what we were expecting coming into the year. Like you said, I mean, Brian Kelly, you got to read, read the room a little better than that. And not only, like you mentioned, I mean, they've had defensive problems all year. It's been a little better in recent recent weeks, but... I mean, just look at the Navy drive summary. So they had three true possessions in the first half. They went touchdown, turnover on downs, touchdown. And then in the second half, they'd only had two true possessions since, uh, you know, before they got the ball back and killed the clock at the end of the game. They went seven plays, touchdown, 16 plays, touchdown. And, I mean, I realize that there's seven and a half minutes left, and that's a lot of time. And in a lot of cases, you think, oh, I mean, nobody's going to hold on to the ball for seven and a half minutes and, you know, kill the clock, except... Navy held on to the ball for nine minutes on their previous drive. I mean, and this is an offense that is more than capable of doing that. And sure enough, uh, Navy runs 14 plays for 57 yards, and that was it. Notre Dame never got the ball back. Um, Another really weird kind of quirk of this game, Navy was four out of five on fourth downs. Um, The two teams were a combined 17 to 26 on third down. Um, they were within two yards of total offense of each other, 370 to 368. Yeah, this is... Okay, Notre Dame played a fine game, but really should should be able to beat Navy. Like, Navy's a, Navy's a good team, they're disciplined and all this, but uh, Notre Dame is far more talented than Navy and really should be able to pull this off. So that, I mean, this is a, a rough and ugly loss if you're Notre Dame here, Mike. Yeah, and you look at the other losses in Notre Dame's schedule. NC State, how bad does that loss look? Duke, how bad does that loss look? Texas, how bad does that loss look? And now Navy. Um, Navy out of those four is probably the best loss. Uh, Texas has looked a little bit better the last few weeks, but I mean now we're we're talking about a three and six Notre Dame team with a bunch of losses, and we're talking about what the best loss is. Um, I can't believe it's kind of gotten to this point in South Bend. Uh, it's just been so ugly defensively all year long, um, and you know I don't know if this is still a thing, Joey. A lot of people seem to think that Navy just doesn't really have a good offense. I don't know if it's because they run the ball or what. I mean Navy has one of the, the better offenses in college football at, you know year after year. Some of it, yes, is due to the caliber of opponent they play, but some of it is also due to the fact that they're just really disciplined. They run the football really well, and they open up the pass with that run. They kind of just lull you to sleep, and they're just so disciplined. Their offensive line in, the, in that run-blocking scheme there in the triple option offense is incredibly efficient. Um, it's just... A really well-run offense, but at the same time, Notre Dame needs to beat Navy. I mean, this is not the Navy team from last year. Navy's coming off of a loss to South Florida. 
heading into this game against Notre Dame and probably feeling kind of rough about themselves, and Notre Dame still found a way to lose. It's just, it's pretty unbelievable at this point. It's amazing to me, too, that we're only we're only about 10 years, if that, removed from Paul Johnson's Navy team breaking like a half-century winning streak by Notre Dame, and now I think it's like Notre Dame has won six of the last 10, meaning Navy's won like four. I mean, that's that's a pretty big reversal of fortune over the last decade or so in this rivalry, so... Yeah, rough loss for Notre Dame. Not a good look, and you're probably not going to be eligible. Sorry. Yeah, I mean they got to beat. Yeah, they have to beat Army, Virginia Tech, and Southern Cal. Not happening. I. They might I, not win any of those games. I, I think Army is. I mean, Army is the one obvious one you can point to. You could say, "Yep, that's probably the best chance of winning." I feel like they have to beat Army. Army's not. Army's not as good as Navy. And yet, I mean, would you be shocked if they didn't? No, Probably not at this point. Yeah. Army runs the ball well. Notre Dame can't stop the run. Yeah, you know, not I mean, good. It's getting to that point. Uh, Navy 28, Notre Dame 27. Let's move on, Mike. Lamar Jackson victimized Boston College on Saturday. <laughs> yeah, he did. Uh, it was almost the fourth play of the game. It was actually the third play of the game, and Lamar Jackson scored a touchdown. Lamar Jackson finishes this game with seven touchdowns and f- over 400 yards passing and rushing, uh, four passing touchdowns, three rushing touchdowns, 185 yards on the ground against what we thought was going to be a formidable Boston College defense. Well, that wasn't the case. Um, man, this was a total, total just shellacking by Louisville. And on the third day, God created Lamar Jackson. Um, <laughs> he is... He goes 12 of 17 for 231 and four touchdown passes. 15 carries, 185, three touchdown runs. He's pretty good. Ball, ball game, 52-7. Congratulations to Boston College for scoring a touchdown. That was more than I thought they would do. I told you last week, Joey, when we were previewing this game, I was like, I don't think Boston College is going to score. Mm-hmm. Um, they scored. They proved me wrong, but they only scored seven. They lost by 45. Uh, that's really all I have to say about this game. It was... It was a blowout. It was a track meet. Lamar Jackson, hand him the Heisman Trophy now. Don't even wait until mid-December. It's over. It's been over for at least a month, but everybody's been talking about, oh, there's no way you can win the Heisman in October. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, that's probably true because there's so many different elements that can happen, an injury can happen, this and that. It's over. Wrap it up. The guy has what? What's the touchdown counter at now, Joey? 45. He's got 45 touchdowns with, what, three or four games to go? It's over. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's done. Give it to them. Louisville's still really good. They're one of the best teams in the country still. They're going to be right in that college football playoff conversation, the way things are starting to shape up here. I, Texas A&M lost, Joey. Sorry, little side, sidebar. We didn't really understand why they were number four. Good to see they showed their true colors on Saturday against Mississippi State. Hey, so I, I work finally, with a bunch of Aggies. I've never said to see the Aggies lose. Yeah, if no, we're that, being honest. <laughs> that made, yeah, that... That ranking made no sense, so it was good to see them lose. But, uh, yeah, Louisville, one of the best, if not the best, one-loss team in the country. You can, I, you can stack Louisville up against any of them. I think they're, they're right there, at least offensively. They can score with anybody. So, uh, yeah, good win for uh, good win for Louisville, I guess. I mean, you've got to beat Boston College. They, they handed it to them decisively like they should have. Maybe more impressive, Mike, than just the number of touchdowns that he's got already is the level of balance. Lamar Jackson has 26 passing touchdowns and 19 rushing. I mean, it's it's one thing you talk about he's going up against Colt Brennan's record of, I think it was 63 touchdowns. And the thing was, that you have to figure that no less than like 60 of those were passing. But the fact that he's doing it in all phases of the game, I mean, if you just look at between plays where Jackson attempted a pass and plays where Jackson carried the ball. So on plays that were focused around something that Lamar Jackson did, Louisville averaged 13 yards per play in this game. I mean, it is it is seriously like some video game stuff. Lamar Jackson had two touchdown runs of more than 50 yards. Uh, he had a couple of touchdown passes of 30 and 44 yards. It is it is unreal. Like this is so fun to watch if if you're not a fan of the team that he is just demolishing on any given week. Yeah, he's a cheat code. I mean, he was doing this against Clemson's defense. I mean, Clemson's defense is one of the best defenses in college football, 
and he was doing the same thing to them, albeit it was a little bit slower start. But, I mean, he really picked it up, as did Deshaun Watson in that game, if you remember the second half. I mean, that turned into a, I mean, that turned into an absolute shootout there um, in Death Valley. But, yeah, Lamar Jackson's done it to every single opponent he's played this year. It's been pretty unbelievable. Meanwhile, Boston College falls right back down to earth after getting that first college, that first conference win last week. They are no longer on a win streak. Um, Surprise. Yeah, who's shocked? Um, for them moving forward, at Florida State, home against UConn, at Wake Forest, they got to win two of those to be bowl eligible. And you got to think if they're going to do it, it's going to be UConn and at Wake, but... I don't know how confident I feel that Boston College can or will beat either of those teams at this point. They have a better chance than Notre Dame to become bowl eligible. That's an interesting concept. Can you believe that? We could we could deep dive that one there for a little bit of... <laughs> yeah. Discussions um, we didn't think we'd be having in November. <laughs> yeah. No, that'll be, uh, that'll be a good podcast at the end of the year. We can go back and revisit all the stupid stuff we've said and then... Like we talked about before, you know, see what came true, what didn't. That would be something we didn't even imagine would be happening. Um, uh, I have every intent of figuring out how wrong we were about certain things. Me too. It'll be a, I mean, it'll be a hysterical podcast. Although but, I will um, say, Lamar Jackson's making me look real smart. I picked him as my conference player of the year. You did. He's going to also be the NCAA player of the year when they hand him the Heisman Trophy. Um, Lock what, it up. Yeah, lock it up. Oh, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, BC. I, I guess they can make a bowl game, but I don't know. The UConn game's going to be tight. The Wake Forest game's going to be tight. I don't know. I, I mean, I think they'll lose one of those. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think Boston College probably finishes 5-7. and seven? Yeah, should I, I mean, really I be betting that's... on them to win another game at this point? Is that where we had them? We Might had them be. at four or five wins, right? Maybe? I don't know. We'd have to go back and check. I guess five wins would but... be undefeated and in, un- in out-of-conference play, which I think makes sense if you look at their out-of-conference schedule. But, I don't know. We'll have to figure we it out. Said, yeah, I think we said, yeah, you know, maybe I'll pick up one other win somewhere. <laughs> they did. They picked up that win. I don't know if they'll pick up another one. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Maybe not. Moving on, Mike. By the way, Louisville 52, Boston College 7. That was ugly. Moving on, talk about something else that was ugly. Uh, the Georgia Tech defense gave up 48 points to North Carolina. Oopsies. Oops. Yeah, this this game got real ugly in the second half. Um, North Carolina led 27-17 to 17 at halftime. I told people Georgia Tech probably should have been leading. Um, they, they missed a field goal on a series when they had – Second and goal at the one-yard line. False start. Just ran a couple plays, couldn't get in. Kicked the field goal. It was blocked. There was another series where they uh, they were set to have a first down inside the 10-yard line, but a play got called back because Justin Thomas pitched the ball and it went forward instead of backwards. Uh, and so that's not legal. And so instead of having two touchdowns there, they came away with one field goal. Uh, so it should have been a 28-27 lead at halftime, and the whole thing just devolved from there. Um, North Carolina puts up big numbers in the second half. This game was actually a real, like, shootout from just offensive numbers standpoint. Uh, there was over 1,100 yards of offense in this game. Neither team was playing a whole lot of defense. Uh, Georgia Tech goes for 334 on the ground, which is crazy in a game that they only scored 20 points in. Um, There's that North Carolina rushing defense. Yeah, that's that's the one we know and love. Um, Mr. Bisky was good, not great in this game. Uh, he he obviously leads the team to a win and to a lot of points. Uh, Twenty for thirty two, three twenty nine, and one touchdown, no picks. Stats look good. Yeah, he wasn't as accurate as we're used to seeing him. He was missing on some receivers, and I didn't feel like Georgia Tech's passing defense was doing a whole lot to make his life difficult. So that was part of it, but. More importantly, Elijah Hood, 12 carries, 168 yards, and three touchdowns. Uh, Georgia Tech had zero answer for him all day long. Um, ah, damn. Yeah. Yeah, that was what I was saying all day. Trust me. Um, by the way, Buck Howard, six catches, 120 yards, and a touchdown, too. Um, I, I got really mad, Mike, because Georgia Tech kept putting Lance Austin, who many people remember from the Miracle on Techwood Drive last year, 
that was about the last good thing we've seen him do. Um, he was asked on a few occasions to cover Bug Howard in this game, and Lance Austin's all of about five foot nine. Bug Howard's about six five. So imagine putting your point guard trying to ask your point guard to like box out a center. Or ask your like seven seven year old brother to play defense against an eighteen year old like stud. Yeah, I mean it's yeah. embarrassing. Um, Justin Thomas and his center Freddie Burden were both injured in the second half. I don't know what their status is moving forward. The hope is that they come back, but time will tell on them. Um, yeah, this this thing got ugly for Georgia Tech really bad in the second half, and. Uh, it was a thing where I, I felt like Georgia Tech could keep this game close. Uh, they were only a 10.5-point underdog, and it, it was looking like they would for a while, but they just keep making critical mistakes at just really inopportune times. And uh, not to mention the defense is kind of complete and total garbage at this point. So there's a lot of, uh, a lot of unrest among the fan base, as you might imagine here, Mike. I saw a total of about 30 seconds of this game. and That's it, all you needed to it, see. Yeah, I was uh, walking in from the stadium from the tailgate, uh, and it was on at one of the tailgates, and a Duke fan offered me a beer, which I happily took, and I watched about 35 seconds of this game, and by then it was 41-20, so I missed about everything. Uh, you're pretty solid analysis there, Joey. I'm going to look at the stats here and tell you what jumps out at me. Obviously, Bug Howard going off, and you explain that pretty well. Uh, Lance Austin playing no defense. And you forget that great play he made against Clemson where he intercepted the ball and fumbled it back in the end zone. Yeah. Yeah. It's been downhill for Lance Austin. <laughs> it's not good. Uh, yeah, obviously Georgia Tech not having an answer for Elijah Hood. Uh, I don't want to say completely cost him the game, but he did have three touchdowns, so that went a long way towards that. Um, Trubisky, I'll take your word for it on the accuracy issues. I. I believe that. We've seen Mitch Trubisky put up pretty good numbers before and not play a great game. It sounds like this might be the case. Um, obviously, Justin Thomas getting hurt. Want to monitor that. Doesn't seem like it'll be serious, right? Hopefully not. Um, the word was that he had, like, an ice pack on his jaw at the end of the game. Like, he took a shot to the to the head somewhere, but not, you know, concussion level. So, hopefully he's fine. I think he should be. Okay. That's, that's fine. Yeah. He's a, fo- he's a football player. Yeah. yeah. Can't rub. You can't really rub some dirt on your jaw, though. So I'm not sure how that's going to work. Uh, might, even, might even say he's a hockey player, but might you might. Uh, Dedrick <laughs> Mills. That's a pretty good game for him, right? 132. Um, yeah, one his, touchdown. His I, first career game with 100 rushing yards, but he did have two fumbles, which is very uh, unlike Dedrick. There's really he only had one fumble on the year coming into this game, and that was the in the first game of the year against Boston College. So. Yeah, kind of uncharacteristic of him to turn the ball over twice in the second half. Did these teams have almost 700 yards of offense in the first half? Is that yes? Yeah, there were. It was. They both had over 300 yards of offense each in the first half. Yeah, that's that's pretty that's pretty unbelievable. Um, that yeah, that's an easy over on this game, huh? Mm-hmm. Or what the over under was, but I think it was in the um, mid 50s. Let's see. Go back. I'll go back to our spreadsheet and look. Yeah, 61. Easy over. Um, yeah. Ended up at ended up at 68. Yeah, no. I mean, I think Vegas had that marked right, obviously. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess from my, my perspective, I'll go back and take a look at this game, too. But I think from my perspective, obviously the lack of rushing defense by North Carolina, surprise, surprise, it uh, shows its colors again. Um, and then for Georgia Tech, their defensive woes, rushing, passing defense. I mean, they're. I mean, I think it's pretty safe to say at this point they're one of the worst defenses in the ACC. Georgia Tech is. Yeah. 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 Right now. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely are. So. Yeah. I mean, I think this is about what you'd expect out of this game. I think it got got out of hand a little bit. A little bit more than I thought it would. I thought uh, Georgia Tech would hang hang with North Carolina a little bit better, but. Um, yeah, I mean, I think from a yards perspective and how the game was won by North Carolina, I don't think it's a huge surprise. Well, and Mike, what you're seeing here is that Georgia Tech's defense is so bad that if if the offense can't basically go out there and score on every drive, they're going to lose games. Um, they're, they're giving up points like it's their job right now, which 
it's actually kind of the opposite of their job. But, um, I mean, they, they've given up, what, 37 to Pittsburgh, 35 to, or, 30, or 24 to Georgia Southern, 35 to Duke, 48 to North Carolina. Um, it's gotten worse. They were they were playing a lot better back in September than they are right now here in early November, and that's not a good sign if you're Ted Roof trying to keep your job. Um, Newsflash, you probably won't. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a whole other situation. It's a complicated recruiting thing too. Um, but yeah, no, this is this is a really bad game for Georgia Tech. It was miserable. Um, kind of a, a good definition of kind of where they are right now, if you will. Yep. Well, they'll pick up the pieces here. <laughs> Against your Virginia Tech Hokies this coming week. That'll be fun. Sorry. Yeah. Rivalry week. We'll talk about that here uh, later this week. North Carolina 48, Georgia Tech 20. Moving on, Miami gets back in the win column. They beat another ACC team. They improved to 2-4. and four, Or 2-3, two 2-4? and three, two and four? What are they now? The conference play. Uh, uh, true. Uh, I just... Took it off think, the screen. I think two and three. Two and three, yeah. Miami now two and three in conference play. Uh, they beat Pittsburgh 51-28 in a game that was a shootout just like we thought it might be. This is actually my ACC pick of the week. It was to go over the point total of, I believe it was 56 or 58. Sure did. They got up to 79 points in this game. Um, Miami really pulled away. This game was close for a little while. Um, it was... 27-21 at halftime, and then Miami just turned it on in the second half and, and really pulled away. The Pitt defense had no answer for Brad Kaya, 32 of 47 for 356 and four touchdowns. Mark Walton also had a really good day, and a, a rare good day running the football against the Pitt front seven. 14 carries for 125 yards and a touchdown. This was a, a huge performance for Miami. They, they really had lost a lot of mojo over the last several weeks, and this, this felt like a really good confidence builder for them. They go for 534 yards of offense. They dominated time of possession. They didn't turn the ball over. They converted third downs. This was this was a really good performance from Miami and kind of a, a, a little bit of a falling flat for the Pittsburgh team here. Yeah, Pat Narduzzi was still chilling out at Heinz Field yelling at the officials from the Thursday before against Virginia Tech. Um, yeah, the defense didn't show up, and... This is something that we were kind of discussing. We were saying, oh, you know, can Pittsburgh get a pass rush going against this Miami offensive line, which sounded like it could be a plausible scenario. But I think you and I both kind of, oh, you especially, even more so than I did, thought that this was the prime matchup for Miami against the Pitt secondary. And that's exactly what it was. Um Miami rolled Brad Kaya, four touchdowns, 356 through the air. You know, that's how Miami needed to win this game, was throwing the football. Um, but even with that being said, they got Mark Walton going, which I thought was huge. Uh, you know, when Miami gets the running game going, they're an entirely different offense. They throw the ball a ton better uh, when, when the running game's going well. And that's, you know, again, what happened on Saturday. James Conner, 12 carries, 40 yards, and a touchdown. I think this is the first real game this year that he's been almost completely taken out of play, just completely shut down and that was huge because once Miami stopped him Pitt had all sorts of issues um Peterman pretty pedestrian 17 to 35 287 two touchdowns and a pick didn't really make his presence felt um even when there were glimpses the game was so far out of hand didn't matter so really good win for Miami they've uh they like Pitt were kind of on this up and down you know trajectory over the last few weeks and this is a really big win for Miami because they were starting to trend downhill fast, and they can kind of turn their season around here potentially with this win and and try to finish up the season strong and get into a good bowl game. Yeah, Pitt had a couple very timely miscues. Uh, coming out of halftime, they got the ball right out of the sec- right in the start of the second half. Two plays, minus eight yards, fumble. Eight plays, 30 yards, punt. Eight plays, 79 yards, interception. Six plays, 16 yards, missed field goal. That was their first four drives of the second half. That was the time where Miami took the lead from 27-21 all the way to 41-21. Um, and, and that was really kind of what did it for Pittsburgh. Um, like you said, James Conner taken out of this game. Nate Peterman was not great. He, you know, sub-50% completion, 287, two touchdowns and a pick. 
Um, yeah, just a, a really good performance from Miami here. I don't know how much more we can really say about it. Kind of interested to see where they go from here. They've got a, a pretty winnable stretch. It's it's totally conceivable that Miami could win out here, although they got a couple road games here at Virginia, at NC State, and then home against Duke. Miami is down as they've looked. I mean, they could still salvage an 8-4 and four record in the regular season and finish probably like third in the Coastal. And honestly, I mean, outside of the delusional Miami fans that listen to this podcast and also the ones that don't listen to this podcast. Okay, first of all, okay, let me, let me backtrack a little bit. Thank you for listening, okay? I give Miami a lot of flack on this podcast, Joey, like a ton of flack. Most of it's warranted. Some of it is not warranted. And I give Miami a ton of crap. I try to give them credit where I can. This is one of those instances where they blow the doors off a Pittsburgh team that is a decent coastal team still, right? And they blew the doors off them. I mean, this game wasn't even really competitive. Uh, so so good for Miami. But going back to preseason, other than like the 70 to 80% what seemed like it, the Miami fan base that thought the Hurricanes would win the Coastal for whatever for one reason or another, mostly because it was wide open, but they thought that they would be that improved. There were just too many holes on offensive defense. I think that kind of came to light once they started playing better teams on their schedule. Um, but if you said at the beginning of the year Miami would go 8-4, and four, finish, you know, what's looking like third in the Coastal Division, I think a lot of fans, truthfully, at Miami would have been happy with that after, you know, after last year. Um, I know they got to eight wins last year. Um, but, you know, all the issues they had under Al Golden, I mean, this team is getting better, um, and it's going to take a little bit of time there for Mark Ricks, but uh, I think an 8-4 and four season here, definitely not out of the question with the three opponents they have remaining. They should be favored in all three of those games you mentioned, and if they get to 8-4 and four and then win a bowl game, get nine wins in year one with Mark Rick, that's going to be very successful for recruiting, so... It's still going. It still has potential to be a pretty successful first season for, uh, for Mark Richt and Miami. Yeah, Mike. That's that's the thing coming into the year, especially Miami. The the defensive front had a lot of depth to be replaced. Um, there were this just didn't ever look like it was going to be a complete team, and so, I mean, there there hasn't really been a game so far that they were just totally embarrassed in. Like if you look at it before the year, and you said. They're going to lose to Florida State, North Carolina, Virginia Tech, and Notre Dame. I mean, given what we know now, the only one of those that really looks bad is the Notre Dame game. So um, for for Miami to be where they are right now, at uh, I believe at 5-4, and four and, and likely to finish, I think, 8-4, and four, I mean, I think that's perfectly fine for a first year in a new regime and, and with some turnover going on up front on defense. So... Yeah, good good win for Miami. I uh, I hate that they're making us talk, say nice things about them, but uh, you know, not bad. I was gonna say also, Miami. Look, if they beat Notre Dame, which they had ample opportunity to do, we're talking maybe nine wins in the regular season, maybe a tenth in a bowl game, and a lot of Miami fans are going to complain because even with that, you know, they're not going to finish better than third in the Coastal unless there's a catastrophic collapse by either Virginia Tech or North Carolina, which doesn't look like it's going to occur. Um, so unless that happens, I mean, they could have won 10 games even um, if they went out here and still finished third in the Coastal. It's just been a strong division this year. Um, and that's, you know, to have a team go 10-3 and three and win what will probably be five games in the ACC um, if, if Miami wins out here. I mean, that's that's a strong division. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of kind of coastal cannibalism this year, but not in the way that we saw it maybe five to seven years ago where just nobody was very good. This is more that a lot of these teams are actually very good. So, um, yeah, no shame in that. All right, let's move on here, Mike. We've been preparing for this moment for a long time, and it's very important that we talk about a bowl-eligible Wake Forest. Wake Forest 27, Virginia 20. Man, this is... Good on you, Steeman Deacons. You are bowl eligible. This is a big. This is a big day for you. This is this is awesome. First time since 2010, I believe. Wow. It's been a while. It's been a while for Wake Forest. Uh, yeah, big win. Virginia screwed it up in epic proportions. We'll get to that. 
uh, later. But yeah, um, no, a big a big win for Wake Forest. Obviously, the John John Walford played pretty well uh, on Saturday for Wake. Um, Can we talk about John Walford with like a seventy yard touchdown run? Yeah, I mean, it really ended up inflating his numbers because he had ninety four yards rushing and sixty four um, of them on one. Virginia defense, what were you doing on that play? Yeah, no. They they pretty much went to sleep. And Wolford was 9 of 10 for 83 yards and a touchdown. Uh, this is kind of, Joey, what you and I have been talking about. Wake Forest, they need to just not throw the ball really at all. And that's what they did in this game. He, he had 10 passing attempts. And they ran the ball a ton with Cade Carney, which is the recipe for success. And... As a team, they ran for 226 yards, which is what you need to do, and uh, they they found a way to get it done. So this is a uh, this is a pretty big win for Wake Forest, an epic collapse by Virginia, which I guess is kind of what we're used to seeing. But um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Wake Forest is bowl eligible. They're six and three on the year. Uh, this is this is a big deal for a program that's really struggled here really every year since, I don't know, Riley Skinner was at school. I mean, <laughs> really. I mean, it's been it's been tough sliding for Wake Forest. The steaming freaking Deacons, Mike. Yeah, you mentioned that John Walford was 9 of 10 for 83 yards and a touchdown. I think the most important number of all those, as you mentioned, is the 10 under the attempts, under the attempts column. As we saw last week, if Wake's throwing the ball 30 times a game, they're going to get beat. Uh, in this game, they ran the ball 51 times and threw it 10, and that's pretty much what they need to do. I mean, this is about as run-heavy as of a team as you need to be, if, if even if you're not running like a pure option type of scheme. Um, so this was a good performance from Wake Forest. They got opportunistic, took advantage of a few things. We'll, we'll talk about that here in a little while. Um, but because there's one particular moment that we got to hit on from this game, but we'll do that here in a little later in the show. Uh, but like you mentioned, Cade Carney, 23 carries for 87 yards. John Walford, 16 carries for 94 and a touchdown. Um, yeah, this was, this was good from Wake Forest is what you got to do. And uh, they took advantage of some stuff. Virginia had a comeback in this game. Uh, Wake was up 17-6 at halftime. And then Virginia pulls ahead 20-17 to in the third quarter. Came storming back, Joey. That's right. And they were, uh, they were in position to maybe go down and win the game. And then... Uh, Disaster struck, and again, we'll talk about that here in a little while. But yeah, good win for Wake Forest. Uh, I, I think that these two teams combined for close to as much offense as North Carolina had on Ted Roof's defense. Um, 309 for Wake and 295 for Virginia. Virginia falls to 2-7 and seven on the year. This is... We knew that they were going to have some problems coming into the year, and... My, my thought in particular was that they, they were going to try to do some stuff that maybe they weren't really built to do, and it was going to be an adjustment period under Bronco Mendenhall. But some of the ways that they've been losing these games is not so much like they're just totally uh, incapable or incompetent. It seems like there's some coaching issues here, Mike, and I don't know, is there any reason to start getting a little skeptical of what Bronco Mendenhall is trying to do there? Not yet, but if we see the same thing going here in a year, year and a half from now, where this is it's the same kind of mistakes happening, um, yeah, I mean, we can question it. I mean, I think Bronco Mendenhall has proven he's a pretty good coach, but this hasn't been on the players as much um, here, like some of these losses. I mean, obviously there are plays here and there you can point to, but when you look at Virginia, there have been some losses where you question how well this team is being coached because they've been in games which they weren't in a lot of games last year if you remember last year with Mike London um they're in games now which I guess is a testament to the coaching staff by the same token they're making some brutal mistakes that can only really be chalked up to coaching decisions so yeah I mean I don't think it's time to panic yet but it's not the start the Bronco men hall line to get off to here in year one as we said, Virginia two and seven now, and Mike, I got kind of a bad feeling that they're probably going to end up two and ten. Um, Virginia down the stretch, home against Miami at Georgia Tech at Virginia Tech. I don't know that they win any of those games. No, I don't think so either. Meanwhile, Wake Forest has the uh, the paltry Louisville Cardinals on the road next week. Clemson at home after that, and then finally Boston College at home if they can survive those 
first two games. So I think they're primed for maybe seven wins. Well, I mean, they're not beating they're not beating Louisville. Give me seven um, and five, Wake Forest, Mike. Yeah. Give me seven and five, a bowl win, get to eight and five. Give, what a time give to that be alive. man give that man Dave Claus an extension and a Lamborghini. We'll be on our way. Dave Clawson for president if you're in yeah. Winston-Salem right now. Or really just at all. Dave Clawson for president. That would be fine, I think. Yeah, I could, I could deal with that. Yeah, get behind that. Anything else here before we move on, Mike? I'm good. Good, because it's time to talk about a 54-point squeaker. Clemson narrowly edging out Syracuse here, 54 to nothing at home. Um, I really thought that Syracuse was going to be able to like score in this game at all and like a point yeah like a field goal or you know anything and they didn't <laughs> Clemson kept them off the board the entire <laughs> game um man this was ugly uh this was a total just blowout start to finish there was never a point where Syracuse was really in the game um Clemson was dialed in from the beginning the major noteworthy thing here in this game Mike was that both uh, Deshaun Watson and uh, your boy Eric Dungy left this game with injuries. Uh, I don't know how serious either of those are, but it's not a great sign. I mean, neither of them came back into the game. Granted, Watson may, maybe could have if it was a game where he needed to be in there, but uh, given the, the margin at the time, uh, they just let Nick Schusler play the second half. Um, hopefully this doesn't have any long-term repercussions if you're Clemson. Because uh, they, I mean, they've got a pretty clear slate down the re- rest of the regular season, but they've got high aspirations for the postseason, and so you got to know that they want Deshaun Watson to be healthy for those games. Yeah, I mean, if, as long as Watson is healthy on the road to recovery, I mean, there's no reason, like, with their schedule here to play him. I mean, look, Dabo Swinney, I mean, you could be a little bit concerned that Watson didn't come back in, but you were kicking your feet up when Nick Schusler comes in, throws for almost 200 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, he was he was chilling in that offense there in the second half. Uh, he played fine, I thought. Uh, the run game was wholly not, I mean, they ran for 195 yards on 44 carries, Clemson did, um, but the running game is not where the game was won. I mean, they threw four touchdown passes between Watson and Schusler. Yeah, I mean, this was this was a complete yawner. Um, I, you know, for Syracuse, obviously losing Eric Dungy, really hard to produce any sort of offense when your best player leaves the game, and he's been their best player on offense. I mean, they, they got they got a great group of receivers there at Syracuse, but they're not where they're at without Eric Dungy. Um, they don't have four wins at this point in the year without him, and uh, he's thrown the ball extremely well. He's run the ball well. He's been one of the more... Uh, more underrated quarterbacks in the ACC, I think. He's quietly improved, one of the, one of the most improved for sure. Um, and, you know, for for Syracuse, you need Eric Dunchy back to try to get to a bowl game. Um, and, and if you don't have him, I think you're going to have a lot of issues getting, getting to one because he's been pretty much the entirety of their offense at this point in the year. We should probably give some credit to Amba Atawo as well, who's probably one of the best receivers in the ACC. Um, he's had a little bit of a quiet... October, but nine catches, 84 yards in this game, following up 10 catches for 144 and a touchdown against Boston College a couple weeks ago. Um, I feel like there's something there, Mike. This was this was a bad game, but I feel like there's something there for Syracuse that they've got three games left, home against NC State, home against Florida State, at Pittsburgh. I don't think that they win two of those to get bowl eligible, but I don't think it's completely out of the question that they find a way to sneak up on NC State in Pittsburgh. I mean, this offense is really kind of starting to click, or at least it was before they made it to Death Valley. Yeah, I mean, it won't be easy. Uh, it will be a little bit easier if Eric Dungy comes back, though. So, yeah, I mean, I think this is right about where we thought Syracuse would be. Uh, maybe even a little bit better than we thought Syracuse would be, because I looked at their schedule, I remember, and I said, yeah, they'll beat Colgate. And then I saw maybe one or two wins on the rest of this on the rest of the schedule. Um, I, I think I had them at three wins on the year. They're already at four. I think they could get to five or six. Um, I think it's more likely they get to five though, which is better than a lot of people expected out of Syracuse. Uh, they're not a team that's gonna go out there and roll over. 
I mean, it, it looked like that this weekend, but when you don't have Eric Dungy, that's huge. Uh, when he gets hurt in the middle of a game like that and you're playing Clemson in Death Valley, I mean, this is kind of set up for failure. I mean, I don't think either of us really saw Syracuse contending to win this football game, but I think we thought they would put some points up at the very least. Syracuse drive summary. Brace yourself. Punt, turnover on downs, interception, punt, punt, interception, punt, punt, miss field goal, punt, interception, return for a touchdown, punt, punt. That is a uh, that's a rough day at the office. But good game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, still though, I mean, I, we'd be remiss if we didn't say that they've they've improved throughout the year, which is kind of to be expected. But um, yeah, if they can get Eric Dunchy healthy and they can get it together. That game against NC State next week is really intriguing all of a sudden to me, Mike. Um, you have to wonder if NC State, and we're going to talk about them here in a little bit, but Syracuse in the Carrier Dome against NC State, who is vulnerable, that might not be a bad matchup for, for Syracuse here. Nope, not at all. I mean, that's a game that I think Syracuse definitely will have a shot at winning, but we'll have to mod or Eric Dungy's health for sure. Meanwhile, Clemson has the murderer's row of Pittsburgh at home, Wake on the road, and South Carolina at home left before presumably going and representing the Atlantic Division in the ACC championship game. Figures to, uh, to work out well for the Tigers here. Uh, anything else before we move on? Nope, we're good. All right. Got two left here. we got to talk about the game that you were at, Mike. Uh, Virginia Tech in an uncomfortably close win against Duke. Uh, Hokies 24, Duke 21. And it's, it's crazy to think that Virginia Tech might have won this game on a special teams play in the first half. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of where the game shifted. It was kind of a, a slow start for Tech. I mean, they score a couple. They, they ended up scoring three first-half touchdowns. But when you look at how their offense was playing, I mean, I thought it was almost like they were running the football at the expense of throwing it. And I think we've talked about this a, a few different times now that Virginia Tech needs to figure out how to run the football, um, especially here uh, down the stretch of the season. And then, you know, when they look to hopefully get to an ACC championship game against Clemson, they're going to have to run the football against that caliber of opponent and not be as one-dimensional. I think they they knew that going to a Duke game. They figured a Duke game's a pretty good opportunity to work on on running the football. Uh, they did that, but I think they could have thrown the ball a bit more in this football game. Evans threw the ball, ended up throwing the ball 27 times for 192. No touchdowns, no picks. I mean, it's a pretty pedestrian day for him throwing the ball. He was pretty big in the running game. Um, he had 18 carries for 83 yards um, and a touchdown. Trayvon McMillan, 72 yards rushing and a touchdown. But the game was really won for the Hokies on – the blocked field goal in the first half. Greg Stroman comes in in the second quarter, diving across the formation there um, uh, on the field goal, blocks the field goal. Uh, Adonis Alexander picks it up and runs it back something like 70, 75 yards to the house. Um, That happened to be right in front of me also, which was fantastic. Um, Pretty nice. I mean, it it was good ammo for the two Duke fans in the student section that were chanting at me the entire game. Um, it's like, yeah, sorry. I don't know where your student section's at. Um, yeah. You guys uh, were standing in for the student section. We were, um, wearing the appropriate colors. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so that happened. Duke got back in the game in the second half. I, I thought that the turning point for Duke that could have ultimately decided the game, um, Duke was down three and Virginia Tech's playing defense with three or four minutes left, and Terrell Edmonds makes a tackle on one of the Duke running backs. Um, I believe it was uh, Joseph Ajabe or, yeah, or Sean Wilson. I, I don't think it was Wilson. I think Ajabe was the one in the game that got hurt on that play. He fumbles the ball. Tech recovers, but they call Terrell Edmonds for targeting when they review the fumble because you can do that, by the way. You can not call targeting on the field. You can review another another portion of the play, but then if there's targeting involved while you're reviewing it, you can call that as well. So Terrell Edmonds gets called for what was seen to me as, as a 50-50 call on the targeting play. 
Um, it, it was one of those situations where running back and defender both lower their shoulder at the same time. Um, and, and ultimately the call was targeting, so it negated a turnover for the Hokies. It would have iced the game. Um, but what ended up happening there was Terrell Edmonds gets called. He's ejected. He'll miss the first half next week. That's that's the bigger story. He's missing the first half against Georgia Tech in that running game. Terrell Edmonds has been one of the better players in the secondary when it comes to run defense this year for Virginia Tech, and they won't have him against a really good rushing team with Georgia Tech in the first half next week. So that's the biggest story there. But Virginia Tech forces Duke to punt, and then the Hokies were able to run the ball effectively and effective, you know, to sit on the ball and, and run the clock out. They got a couple of key first downs there on the last drive to ice it. They got really uncomfortably close there um, down the stretch. A couple of really key calls by Ron Cherry and a typical ACC um, officiating, uh, officiating crew. And one more thing real quick, uh, just kind of a side note, a pretty funny story. Uh, middle of the third quarter, um, Ron Cherry during a TV timeout comes and walks down by the end zone that I'm sitting in, and there's a Tech fan a couple rows behind me, and he yells out, Hey, Ron, hey, Ron, are you going to give him the business? And it was quiet enough there at that stadium where he heard him from the, from the fifth or sixth row in the stands, and he turns around, and Ron Cherry's just pointing at him, cracking up. Um, one of the highlights of the day um, from a non-football perspective, really good stuff by Ron Cherry there. Ron freaking Cherry. That guy's a national treasure, man. He's, he's incredible. When it comes to ACC officiating, uh, Ron Cherry is the gold the gold standard, so to speak. I'm not talking about just his officiating, just his the aura around him. It's, it's incredible. That guy's the man. Never change Ron Cherry. Yeah, this game was... Uh, it's kind of went a little bit how I thought it might, in a sense of Duke found a way to ugly it up. Um... And, and kind of kept it close. This was like a 10.5, 11-point spread, Mike, I think. Yeah, it ended up, I think, closing at 10.5. Yeah, so and, and there was reason to think that Virginia Tech could just run away with it, but Duke did the same thing they've done in a couple of these big games so far, same thing they did to Louisville, where they just find ways to ugly up these games and, and keep it close and keep the score down. Um, Daniel Jones had a hell of a game for the Blue Devils, 18 of 31 for 148 yards, no touchdowns, no picks. 18 carries, 99 yards, and two touchdowns. Um, that's a really gutsy effort from a, a freshman quarterback like that. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what to take away from this game. Duke is... <sighs> it's like early November, and we still don't know what to think of Duke beyond, like, they're going to keep some games close and then just not really win them. Um, Duke's biggest loss on the year was to Virginia by 14? Yeah, I mean, that's a really bad... That looks like a really bad loss. Yeah, and then other than that, I mean, Northwestern lost by 10, or Northwestern lost by 11, Wake by 10, uh, Louisville by 10, Georgia Tech by 3, Virginia Tech by 3. I mean, for a team with six losses, that's that's got to be eaten at them a little bit, that they are continually so close and yet not able to really get over the hump here. Yeah, I mean... This is a Duke team that's just a complete mixed bag. I know it was funny because a couple of the Duke, a couple of the Duke students were talking about you know two or three years ago, and they were saying how full the stadium would get when Duke was contending for ACC Coastal Division crowns, and albeit in a really weak Coastal. Um, that's you know Georgia Tech's not playing well, Virginia Tech's not playing well, Miami's in the middle of the Al Golden era, they're not playing well, Pittsburgh pre-Narduzzi, not playing well. I mean, it was a really weak Coastal, if you remember, three, four years ago. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, a bunch of the students were talking back to, you know, when they were freshmen and, you know, how full the stadium used to get and now how big of a joke it's kind of turned into once again for Duke football. And it's kind of sad because, like, David Cutcliffe, I feel like he's a pretty good coach and has those guys playing hard. And they just, they just don't get the fan support there in Durham that I think they should. Yeah. I don't think – I don't have anything else here, Mike, if you're ready to move on. I, I don't either. We're talking about Duke fans in Durham. We're good. We can move on. Yeah. I feel like we owe them this at some point. but uh, Yeah. Mostly because we talk about them for like 35 seconds each podcast. But... Well, deservedly so. Yeah. No kidding. Hokies 24, Duke 21. Last one here, Mike. This was... If we're going to try to find like most interesting game of the weekend, this is maybe the one we should have talked about first. Uh, 
Florida State survives 24-20 in Raleigh against NC State. This was also an uncomfortably close game for the Seminoles. They had a, a late comeback in this game to pull out the win. Uh, and, and really, they were just chasing NC State all night. I, I don't know how much of this game you got to watch, but they were down 13-10 at halftime. Uh, it was then up to 20-17, to end of the third quarter. Finally, finally, Florida State breaks through and scores a touchdown with about three minutes left in the game. And, and seals the win here at 24-20. But even then, they had to hold off NC State, who then went on an eight-play, 49-yard drive before they finally had that snuffed out with about a minute left. So uh, DeAndre Francois, 22-39 for 3.30 and a touchdown. Dalvin Cook, 18 carries for only 65 yards and a touchdown. It was a really inspired effort by the NC State defense. Um, they, they gave Florida State a lot of problems. And as we kind of mentioned Raleigh at night is a weird place to play, especially when you're Florida State. You've kind of had some issues there before. Um, so good win for Florida State here. Uh, and another tough loss for NC State now. I think that's, what is that? It's at least three in a row for them. Four, yeah, actually, I mean, four in a row. Their, yeah, their last win was against Notre Dame. So wow. they've Yeah, it's it's been a while. Um. Yeah, no, I you know I didn't see a ton of this game. I actually heard a bunch of it on the radio as I was driving back from the Duke Virginia Tech game. Uh, yeah, DeAndre Francois played pretty well. I mean, three thirty and a touchdown, pretty solid. I thought he was especially especially good in the fourth quarter. Um, yeah, I think a lot of credit needs to be given to Florida State receiver Nyquan Murray. Uh, we talked about a lot or a lot about the Florida State receivers. Um, in the preseason, Nyquan Murray's name was never brought up. Um, he's been really good here, especially the second half of the year. He's really come on for Florida State in the passing attack. Nine catches, 153 yards for Florida State in this one. He's been a really reliable target for DeAndre Francois here uh, the last for, for the better part of the last month, month and a half. So Florida State is getting better offensively. I think they're still touch and go. I, don't, I still don't think they're running the ball as well as they would like. Um, they'd like to get Dalvin Cook going a, a bit more often and a, and a bit more efficiently in the run game. Um, the blocking really just hasn't been there all year um, by the offensive line. It's just been so inconsistent up front. But, you know, when Cook's right, the Florida State offense is really good. And you see flashes from DeAndre Francois. I think that we're maybe a year or two early on Florida State being like a top four team in the country. Um, and I think People are really bullish on Florida State. The talent is undoubtedly there. I mean, we, we see it now the last few weeks. I mean, they're they're there. They're finding ways to win. Um, they, they have a good young team. I think they're a year or two away from being right where we kind of all expect them to be in the Atlantic Division, really contesting Clemson. This is a rough game for the Florida State defense in particular, Mike, um, and, and in a couple of senses. I mean, first of all, they gave up 469 yards of offense to NC State, but Maybe more importantly, I mean, the Florida State defense, they weren't giving up a ton of points, but, man, they had a really rough time of getting off the field. Um, NC State drives went 10 plays, 5 plays, 8 plays, 9 plays, 9 plays, 10 plays, 3 plays, 9 plays, 9 plays, 5 plays, 8 plays. I mean, Florida State was not really able to force any of those three and outs, and, and basically you could always bank on NC State getting two or three first downs before they were going to give the ball back. And luckily, again, it, it only resulted in about 20 points for the Wolfpack. Um, but still, I mean, it kind of it kind of doesn't help your offense to get in rhythm or anything like that if, if they can't stay on the field. Matt Days for NC State had a great game, 23 carries for 104 yards. Uh, he was a real trooper out there. Ryan Finley, 25 of 41 for 304, a touchdown and a pick. Um Great effort from NC State here, and it was a it was a good environment. The, the broadcast of this game got pretty weird there in the middle. Um, I was kind of monitoring from a bar, and it was like the entire second quarter, like half of it was being commentated from Bristol for ESPN, and the other half, it sounded like the commentators were doing it on like AM radio. <laughs> yeah, it was really odd. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Um, Almost a win for NC State. They, they played a good game. They had a good game plan. Uh, they sustained drives and gave the Florida State defense a lot of problems, but DeAndre Francois was uh, a little too much at the end, and uh, they scored touchdowns on two of their last three drives of the game, and that sealed it. 
Yeah, atmosphere was pretty wild there in Raleigh. Um, that's a tough place to play during the day, even tougher at night, no matter how good or bad NC State is. Those fans really show up there uh, to root on the Wolfpack, who gave a valiant effort in this one. I mean, it was really a strong effort from start to finish from NC State. Just a couple things didn't go their way there in the fourth quarter. Florida State now at 6-3. and three. Down the stretch here, home against Boston College at Syracuse, home against Florida um, I figure they're going to win out in conference play. That Florida game is going to be tricky. Um, although the Florida defense is really good, and the Florida offense is kind of a garbage. So um, maybe a, a, actually a little bit of an easier game than you think. Meanwhile, NC State at Syracuse, home against Miami, at North Carolina. That might be a little bit of a bumpy finish for this team. Um, they're 6-3. They're and three, or Hang on, sorry. They're not 6-3. and three. They are... Four and five right now. Uh, NC State might not be ball eligible this year, Mike. It's a tough schedule down the stretch there. I mean, I, I struggle to see them win two of those games that you mentioned. Yeah. I mean, if they're going to, they're going to have to beat Syracuse in the, in the Carrier Dome. And then this is a game that we talked about before the year was the home game against Miami the week before Thanksgiving. Um, hopefully that's like a night game and kind of a crazy environment in Raleigh again because they're going to need, they're going to need it for their fans in that game. It's it's a winnable game, but I wouldn't think that they'd be favored. No, I can't imagine they would be. But, you know, uh, we talked about that potentially being a big game. I mean, I think it's going to have major ramifications on their bowl eligibility status. Most likely. Anything else here before we finish up, Mike? Uh, we're good. All right, we got two things left to do, as always, to close out this recap show. Number one, the Week 10 Go ACC Moment of the Week. We've referenced this a couple times, talking about the Wake Forest-Virginia game. There was a moment at the end of the game, Mike, where Virginia had come back and had tied it at 20 and was trying to drive down the field to win the game. Meanwhile, Wake Forest trying to preserve the win to attain ball eligibility when this happened. Also 12, Ben Kurt to throw here. Three-man pressure by Wake. Ben Kurt rallies. Wants to cut it loose, breaks away from yet another one, and zips it down the field. It's picked. Jesse Bates. Flag down, middle of the field at the 20. Bates tries to score, dives, touchdown Wake Forest. And Mike, I'll be damned. The Steeman Deacons with a pick six on Virginia to get bowl eligible. Really good stuff there. The Steeman Deeks. Thank you, Kurt Benkert for basically making my season, my football season dreams come true. Wake Forest, bowl eligible. I didn't think when we started this podcast I'd be rooting this hard for Wake Forest. It's now happened, and it's glorious. Mike, are you back on the Wake Forest hype train? Back. I'm back, baby. Are, are they letting I, you I conduct on the it. hype train again? Uh, I don't think so. I've quit on them like three different times, but I'm back. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, that was a huge play uh, by Jesse Bates for the Wake Forest defense. Um, again, coming up at an opportune time, it, it just that's that's what you got to do to win games. Um, from there, they really stifled the Virginia offense. A punt and a turnover on downs to end the game. Only eight snaps really left. So uh, this was a huge win again for Wake Forest. Um, and We've done this before where the Go ACC moment of the week is a good thing. We've done it where it kind of makes fun of somebody else. And here we're getting a two-for-one because we're kind of making fun of Virginia. But also, good on you, Steeman Deacons. Making it happen. Bowl eligibility. Hell yeah. Making a play making a play in pass defense. That's what I'm that, talking about. Not happened off this year. So go ACC to you, Wake Forest defense and Kurt Benkert. <laughs> you guys combined for the Go ACC moment of the week. Which brings us to the Brian Van Gorder Memorial You Tried Award. And, Mike, I don't know that... First of all, this feels a little unfair or repetitive because it feels like this could go to several units so far this year that have kind of accomplished the same. And we kind of envisioned this happening this way as well. Yeah. Um, so we we got to give big props here to the Boston College defense who held Lamar Jackson to only 416 yards of offense and seven touchdowns. It's a pretty gutsy effort. Uh, I, I applaud that effort and the, the resilience that they, they brought. Um, Lamar Jackson, they, they knocked him out of the game after three quarters. They, they had to take him out for, like, rest and rehydration and stuff. Um, 
Yeah, they got him dehydrated. Boston College defense, you tried, you tried to contain Lamar Jackson, and you found out that, man, it really takes a lot to do that. Yeah, I mean, he got dehydrated. He was so tired of running all over them for 185 and three scores, or four scores. How, how many touchdowns do you have on the ground? Three or four? Three on the ground, four through the air. Four through the air, okay, yeah. And then he completed, like, 12 passes through the air for 200-plus and four more touchdowns, yeah. Just abusing that defense. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, BC. You tried. This is, Just... I mean, this is literally, like... Madden 2004 Michael Vick stuff, Mike. Like, this is this is insane to watch. Like, if you're ever just bored and there's a Louisville game on, like, go watch it because you will be entertained by Lamar Jackson running around and just making defenders look silly. Yeah, the dude's a cheat code at this point. It's really not fair. You tried Boston College defense. Sorry. Mike, anything else before we get out of here? Nope. We're good. That was, uh... The smorgasbord of mediocrity uh, came through about as we expected. Uh, That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, Florida State, NC State was about it um, as far as games that, well, you know, Wake Forest, UVA too, but, like, there were more people, actually, you know, there were probably more people watching that than were at the Duke-Virginia Tech game, at least if you're a Duke fan. You guys had, like, I don't know, ten people and, like, the cheerleaders. So, it's pretty good. I feel like even a couple of the cheerleaders didn't show up. No. They were, they were dressed in maroon sitting in Section 10. They didn't want any part of that. Yeah. Yeah, Mike, it was a, a little bit of a rough Week 10. Uh, a little bit of a stretch if you're looking for good action. But um, Week 11 sets up a lot nicer. we got a Thursday night game coming. we got a Friday night game coming. Wake Forest on the road at Louisville. It's a big game for Wake Forest. <laughs> oh, man. Careful. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Pitt at Clemson. That could get interesting. Maybe. That could get interesting, yeah. If Nick Schussler's the starting quarterback for Clemson, that could get interesting. Yeah. And even then, he's still probably going to have a field day with that Pittsburgh defense. Yeah. I'm starting to think what that you, you and I might have a field day thrown into that Pittsburgh secondary. Yeah, I'm getting my arm warmed up now as we speak. So. <laughs> well, you won't have to warm up too much. It should just kind of happen. <laughs> That's right. Pat Narduzzi's still screaming. Uh, all right. Uh, well, Mike, we'll uh, we'll be back later this week to preview that Week 11 action. Uh, anything before we get out of here for them? Now nah, we're good. All right. Sounds good. Well, in the meantime, you guys can reach out to us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He's at Mike McDaniel ACC. Together we're at BC Podcast, at BC Podcast ACC. Man, I'm getting my social media platforms messed up because I was going to tell you that you could send us an email at the longest email address in human history, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it again. Yeah, drilled it. Uh, so, yeah, if you guys have questions, if you have anything you want us to talk about on the show, please send us emails. Um, if you think that our songs are pretty sick on SoundCloud, apparently you can email <laughs> us too. Yeah, that's a thing. Yeah, uh, if, if that's what you think, then we're probably not going to send you, like, the password to our account or anything like that, nor are we going to, like, pay you for Twitter followers, but, um, yeah, you can write us in and let us know that if that's what you think. Um, let us know if you suck. We're still looking for haters. Uh, we can't really be a real podcast until we have haters, so. Please uh, review. Looking at you, Duke, and Miami fans, we hate your teams, so come hate on us. We need you. Throw us a review. We only have Miami fans hating on us right now, so we need more than that. This is more fair. hate. This more is hate the better. Bring those bring those fiery takes at us. Alright. Well, Mike, this has been fun. We'll talk again later this week. Alright, cool. Sounds good. Alright, guys. Well, until then, uh, for Mike McDaniel, I'm Joey Weaver. Go ACC.